As you can tell, Brother Derek is not here tonight. He's out of town. He called a couple of weeks ago, and he said, look, I'm going to be gone. Would you be so kind as to teach for me? And uh, usually what that means is I've called Brother Chuck, and he can't. I call Brother Henry, and he can't. Call Brother Al, he can't. And, and I'm down to you, Brother Bill. Can you do it? <laughs> so, but uh, tonight I want to I want to minister to you in a, a Bible study. And uh, I have, uh, for those of you that don't know, I've been preaching now for a little over 45 years. And uh, sometimes when I teach, it'll almost seem like I'm preaching. But that's all right. What I want to share with you tonight uh, is a message that I've entitled, The Ministry of Bitterness. And uh, you can find it in your Bible over in Exodus, the 15th chapter. Now, there are times when people ask me, why do you teach out of the Old Testament? And I'm going to put some scripture up here uh, as an introduction type thing to tell you why I teach out of the Old Testament. And we'll begin with Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, meaning before uh, the New Testament, you know, the Old Testament, they were written for a purpose. They were written for our learning. And so we study the Old Testament to learn that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures may have hope. And so what you find in the Old Testament is a book of hope. There's another verse. It's found uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11. This is what that says. Now all these things happened unto them for an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a history of the nation of Israel condensed. He says all of the things that happened, they happened as an example. And listen to this. They are written for our admonition. That's a King James word meaning learning. He wants you to learn from what is written in the Old Testament. And then he makes this statement. You see it? Upon whom the ends of the world has come. This is for us. This is for our day. And then again, a very familiar passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible says all Scripture. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, having that as an introduction, I want you to take your Bible if you've got one. And turn over to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you want to scoot around to close to somebody that's got one, that's good. Most of the scripture we're going to be talking about tonight is going to be up on the screen. And before we can get in Exodus 15, I've got to give you a little bit of background. If you know anything at all about the book of Exodus, Exodus is a book of departing. Uh, the children of Israel, uh, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse number 40, have been down in Egypt for 430 years. They have horrible taskmasters. Uh, they were making brick to build these pyramids and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Moses went in and began to talk to the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, okay, now you're not going to get any straw. And you can imagine having to bake these bricks without any straw to hold them together in the Egyptian sun and then do all the work. And Pharaoh said, your tally cannot diminish. In other words, you had to produce just as much as you were before. In chapter number 12 and uh, verse number 22, the word of God, actually verse number 13, in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 13, here's what the word of God says. And the, uh, the Passover is going to take place. And the blood shall be a, a token for you upon your houses where you are. And then God says this. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite Egypt. And, and for many years, and this is very important that you get hold of this. For many years of studying the Bible, I thought that, that what that meant was that when God saw the blood, that he passed over the house and didn't kill the inhabitants, that he was the one doing the killing. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, let me read it to you. Over in chapter number 12 and verse number 23, here's what the Bible says. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door 
and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. All right, here's your first teaching for the night. If you have the blood of Christ applied to your life, the destroyer can't come in and smite you. Oh, come on now. That's fourth, I'm, I'm talking about that's higher, upper echelon theology, and you're looking at me. It's important that you understand that as a child of God, that God is watching over you. God is protecting you. God is guiding and directing your steps. If you lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, he will direct your steps. John 16, the Holy Spirit of God has come into your life. For what? That he might guide you. Ephesians 2.10 is a verse of scripture we'll look at in just a minute. The word of God says that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he hath before ordained that you should walk in them. In other words, God has got it all under control. There are times in our life when things happen to us and we don't comprehend that. We don't understand that. We just simply accept it. And so I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I want you to understand that the promise here is not that God would not come in and smite the children. The promise, according to chapter 12 and verse 23, is that God would stand guard over their home and he would not allow the destroyer to come into that home. I'm glad he's standing guard over me tonight. Amen? What a blessing that is. And then we go a little bit further. You know the story. Uh, they have this grand departure, chapter number 12, uh, verse number 36. Here's what the Word of God says. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now here are these slaves and they're getting ready to go out and uh, as many, by the way, as three million are in this group and as they are going out, God gives them favor and all of the Egyptians, whatever, oh, I like that necklace you've got. Here, take it. Well, I like that candelabra you've got. Take it. And God gave them favor, and they spoiled the Egyptians. It goes further. And the Bible says in verse 37, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot, that were men. That's 600,000 men. Uh, numbers 146 says 603,550. Aren't you glad we got numbers in the Bible? And then, and then it says, verse 38, And a mixed multitude went also with them, and flocks and herd, and very much cattle. And so you've got this grand departure. And over 50, verse number 51, the Bible says of chapter number 12, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Now it's important that you understand that it was the Lord that brought them out. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't something of the, of, of the other people. You know, they, they didn't mass up this big army. They didn't hire somebody to come deliver them. That God did it. Now, why is that important? Because God has never forsaken his people, Israel. Even though they went through some bleak times, Israel, I mean, down in Egypt was a very bleak time. But God did not turn his back on them. He delivered them out. Oh, by the way, he still hadn't turned his back on them. And if you've been reading what's going on in the news nowadays, and I don't know that this is the end. I know that the, the scripture tells us uh, Jesus Christ is doing the speaking in, in Matthew's gospel, 28th chapter. And it talks about how that in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes and diverse places and all of these things. Then Jesus says this, but the end is not yet. These are the beginning of sorrows. And the Bible talks about the birth pains of a woman. And all of you that have had children, none of you men know about this. All of you who had children, you see, we genetically know what we are, don't we? Anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> the, the, the birth pains come on, and, and, and it's a tremor. It's, it's, it's a pain. It's an agony. Before the baby is born. Well, 
Over in Ezekiel, chapter 38 and chapter 39, the Bible talks about Russia, and it specifically names Russia. You go back and study this. They're coming out of the north country, Egypt and Persia, and all of them are going to come, which is Iran and then from the south, and they're going to attack Israel. And during that moment, nobody's going to come to their aid. Sheba and Dedan and the islands thereof are going to ask Russia, why are you coming down to Israel, the, city, the, of, uh, the uh, country of unwalled cities? Why are you invading a people like this? These are God's people. Why are you doing this? And nobody's going to do anything to help them. And the Bible says, and God is going to put flesh hooks or fish hooks in the jaws of Russia and pull them back. Why? They're still God's people. Just as he led them out of Egypt. He's not going to let Russia rise up and overtake them. But remember... Somebody said, well, when is all that going to take place? I don't know when it's going to take place. I'm not a date setter, but I'll tell you this. If these are the birth pains, not everybody believes like I believe. But if these are the birth pains, then the rapture has to happen before all of that transpires. That's just, anyway, that's not what I'm teaching tonight. But I could no. They come to the Red Sea. Y'all remember the crossing of the Red Sea? I love this. Chapter number 14. By the way, this is all introduction. But I've got to get you to where I'm at. Chapter number 14 and verse number 13. The Word of God says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, and he will show unto you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will see them no more again forever. And you'll notice that the, the children of Israel, they crossed the Red Sea. Now it has been estimated. Now you think about this. They had three million people. They had a cross in one night. It has been estimated that God separated the Red Sea three miles wide. And to cross three million people in one night, those people would have to stand toe to, uh, uh, heel to toe, shoulder to shoulder, 5,000 in a row for all of them to get through the Red Sea in one night. And the Bible does say that they crossed on dry ground. Chapter uh, number 14, verse number, uh, what is it, 19? And it says, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians, talking about the cloud of Israel, and it was a cloud of, uh, and darkness to them, but it gave light to those by night, so that the ones who came not near uh, the other all night long. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back, and a strong east wind, and all that night, and made the sea and the dry land, and the waters were divided. Again, in verse number 22, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And then again in verse 29, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land. Wow, isn't that great? Three million people going through. And I, hey, there's theologians that teach that it wasn't the Red Sea, that it was the Reed Sea, and it was only about six to eight inches deep. Which really genders a, a, a greater miracle. God drowned Pharaoh and all the Egyptians in six to eight inches of water. But hey, we got to work. If God wanted to do that, he could do that. He's God. In fact, if you want to look at this when you get home, uh, down in verse number uh, 24, the Bible says, It came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and he troubled the host of the Egyptians. In other words, they're having problems in the ranks. Then it says, verse 25, And took off their chariot wheels. While God is leading three million Israelites through the Red Sea, the angels are over there loosening the lug nuts on the chariot wheels. What is this? And when they drove off into the Red Sea, guess what? The wheels fell off. And so they're out there in the middle of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden... All of God's people are on dry ground on the other side. And Moses stretches out that rod, and when he does, here comes the water. And the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned in its strength. And when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. So now we come to chapter 15, and that's where we're going to do some unpacking.
in chapter 15, uh, the first 21 verses is camp meeting. They're on dry ground. They're excited. In fact, verse number 1 says, Then sang Moses the, and, and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare for him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. And on and on and on for 21 verses. They haven't kept me. Amen. People are, look at verse number 20. The Bible says, And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in his hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. They're not doing the hoochie-coochie. They're not doing some twist. They're dancing unto the Lord. God has delivered his people and they found something to get excited about. These are slaves and they've been making bricks in the hot sun and, and God has delivered them and, and woo! But then the Bible says, verse number 22, and so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Marah. 21 verses, they're shouting it out. At the end of 21 verses, the Word of God says, verse 22 that Moses brought them out. The word brought that's used here is a very unique word. It is a Hebrew word that literally means you've got to pull up the stakes. And the, the, the understanding is, is that the people of Israel wanted to stay right there. They had been saved, gloriously saved. They're having this wonderful camp meeting. But now Moses says, we got to go a little further. And I know a lot of Christians just like that. You probably know some too. They got saved, gloriously saved, but that's as far as they've ever gone with the Lord. And dear friend, God's program is that he has a design and that he has a program for every life, a desire that must be filled. You got scripture for that, preacher? I'm glad you asked. One of them we've already touched on Ephesians 2.10. Can we put that up there? Listen to what he says. He says, for we are his. Do you see that? Sometimes we, we read this, but we, we got into this all by ourselves and we're going to take care of ourselves. Dear friend, you didn't get saved by yourself. You have no ability to be saved. In fact, the two verses that are prior to this, Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, for by grace... Are you saved through faith that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God. Then verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, well, praise God, I made it on my own. No, dear friend. Then he says, after that you are saved, we're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God's got a design. God's got a place he wants to put you. God's got a, a way he's going to get you to do what he wants you to do for his honor and for his glory. Here's another scripture real quick. Romans 8 and verse 29. Brother Derek's done such a tremendous job teaching the book of Romans. Listen to what he says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so the purpose of God, after that I am saved, is that he wants me to stop being me. I have people tell me all the time, say, well, you know, the Lord saved me just like I was. He does. But he loves you way too much to leave you there. 
He wants to get you away from what you've been involved in and what you've been your whole life. I had a man tell me, he said, well, that's just the way I am. Yes, and God's trying to break that. In fact, he's wanting to change you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go again, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, I got this for you. Listen to what he says here. He says, but we all with an open face, so we know he's southern, right? We all, but we all with an open face beholding as in a glass. That means you're looking in a mirror. The glory of the Lord were changed. Listen to what he says. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, you don't have any glory. But as you look into the image, into the mirror of God's Word, and you begin to see God as He really is, Isaiah chapter 6, and you begin to see yourself as you really are, Isaiah chapter 6, you become repulsed, and you begin to cry out in repentance. And you wail after God. You seek after God like a little deer seeking a water brook. You desire God so much that, that you begin to be changed. From glory to glory to glory. And it's an osmosis process. In order to get to where he wants you to be, you've got to die out to some things in your life. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I die daily. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, what? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to die for me. So here we have it. God is not going to leave them there. He has delivered them. He has brought them out to bring them in. And so the Word of God says that Moses brought them. Now understand, this is key. Chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, God is instructing Moses. He said, when the cloud moves, you move. Y'all understand that? So they're there and they're celebrating. And we're having a great time for 21 verses. And the cloud moves and so moses says hey pull the tent stakes up get them up we got to go and the word of god says that he brought them god moved and in order to stay with god they got to move too y'all get that you can't have your feet set in concrete god's in the process of moving things around and taking you to different places. And if you're going to be what God wants you to be. He's going to constantly be moving you from glory to glory. And then the Bible says, verse 22. They went three days. No water. And then they came tomorrow. Got three million people here. And the word from the very front to the back. People are tired. Can you imagine going three days without water? Can't feed the animals. Youngins are running around nasty. Can't even wash the... Got, don't have no water. And up in the front, somebody says, Ooh, look over yonder. There's some water. And the word becomes filtering back through the crowd. And people's steps get a little bit lighter. And that old frown turns upside down and becomes a smile again. And people are excited about the prospect water and when they get there the word of god says this verse 23 and when they came to mara they could not drink of the waters of mara for they were bitter therefore the name of it is called mara disappointing three days finally the prospect of water now all of that's been dashed. I mean, how can it get any worse? I want to tell you something. They're exactly where God led them. God wouldn't... Hold on now. Don't you be telling God what he won't do. 
In fact, God is a whole lot more interested in your obedience and your holiness than he ever was interested in your health. And so God has led them to this place of bitterness. And the first thing that you're going to see about Mara is that sometimes when God leads us into these places of bitterness, there is no current interpretation. You don't know why it happened. You don't know why you are there. You just simply know that you've been following God. You've been praying. You've been praying for the leadership of the Spirit of God. And following God, you ended up in a place of bitterness. Ann Lotz wrote this. If our lives are easy and all we ever attempt for God is what we know we can handle, how will we ever experience his power in our lives? It's when we're in over our heads, covered up with no way out, up against a brick wall. That's when we discover what he and he alone can do. Now, let me, I'm just going to throw this little asterisk down here, okay? Footnote time. Not all the bitterness in life is led by God. Some bitterness in the Christian's life is there because of sin unrepented of. And sin that we, you will not forgive. Or for, 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 you will not give up, okay? That's bitterness. Sometimes the consequences linger, and that's bitterness. But in this particular case, God has been leading these people by this cloud, and he has brought them three days into the wilderness or desert, and they, there's no water. Here's the second thing I want to tell you about the ministry of Mara. Not only can it be a ministry of no current interpretation, but the ministry of Mara can be a ministry of inner revelation. Your Bible says, Proverbs 27, 19, as water, face, as, as in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. In other words, and you've done this, you've been out there and maybe it's a, a pond or, or maybe it's a, a, a little creek that's not running and uh, the sun is shining and there's, you can bend over it and you can see your face in the water. God says, just like you see your face, your heart, it also has a reflection. And many times, God allows things to come into our life Y'all hold on, this is deep. Not because God wants to see what you're going to do. He already knows what you're going to do. But he wants you to know what you're going to do. 21 verses, they're shouting it out. Why? Because God's good. Oh, man, we've been delivered. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Go three days, no water. Come tomorrow, and there's not one person in three million people that's singing God's praise. In fact, what you find, the Word of God tells us there that when they come tomorrow, that the people, verse number 24, murmured against Moses. They didn't got the, that, that, that telephone line ringing, that party line. Hey, can you believe he brought us out of here? What kind of pastor have we got? I mean, don't he, listen, don't he know we're perfect? And all the people are murmuring. It's God's desire for you and I to be tried. Verse number 25 of this chapter, here's what the Bible says. And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet, there he made for them a statue and ordinance, listen, and there he proved them. You see, Mara, many times in the life of a child of God, is a test. Here's some scripture for you over in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It's going to blow your mind. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Wherein greatly rejoice. Now, I like rejoicing, don't you? I like singing and praising and preaching, all that kind of stuff. But listen to this. Wherein, greatly, uh, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now be a season, if need be, listen, you are in heaviness through manifold. That means many, 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 many temptations. Verse number seven. The trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What did he ask to be tried? Your faith. And if you can see it, if you can figure it out, if you've got somebody that can help lead you through it, that's not faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about what faith is. Faith is going where you cannot see. Faith is trusting when it seems like there's no way out. God says, I'm going to bring you to a place, just like I brought those children of Israel to the, to the lake of Marah, three days journey to bitterness of water, just to see who you trust. Do you trust yourself or do you trust God? Listen again what he says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. Beloved, who's he talking to? Talking to the church. Think it not strange concerning what? The fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are the partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. God is going to allow testing to come into my life so that he can see what I'm going to do. No, he already knows what I'm going to do, but he wants me to see what I'm going to do. You got scripture for that preacher? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Do y'all remember a fellow by the name of Simon Peter? And the night that Jesus Christ was going to be arrested, before he was arrested, he's in the upper room. And he's washing their feet. And he's instituting the Lord's Supper. And in the process of that, he tells Simon, you're going to deny me. And Simon said, oh, no. <laughs> they, they may deny you. The rest of them may run. But I want you to know, Lord, I got you back. I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the crock throws, crows three times tonight you will deny me you know the story don't you simon peter had to go into the fiery trial so that he could see what he would do when he was placed in that crucible and dear friend you've got one coming god's going to put you in there and I don't know if you know this about the refining of gold. First Peter chapter 1, he talks about when gold is refined, they put it in this cauldron and they turn the heat up. And as they turn the heat up, the gold begins to melt. And, and the impurities of the gold come to the top. And they take a ladle and they scrape off the impurities. And if you're in that cauldron and the heat's turned on and they scrape off the impurities out of your life, you said, whoo! I'm glad that's over. No. <laughs> now they reach and they turn the heat up even more. And more of the impurities are boiled out. You see, you can never be conformed to the image of Christ who was pure. You'll never be changed from glory to glory until all of these impurities are boiled out of your life. And so the ministry of Mara is not only a, a ministry of no current interpretation sometimes. Sometimes we just don't know why we're going through what we're going through. But sometimes the ministry of Mara is this. It is a ministry to reveal to you what you're really like. Something I stopped saying years ago. 
when somebody would get messed up or they'd get sideways or something like that, I used to, and, and some of you've done this, you used to say, I'd never do that. I don't say that no more. The morals of this life are going to do one or two things when they come. They're either going to make you better or they're going to make you bitter. And the choice is yours. Many of y'all have probably read after Watchman Nee. How many of y'all, you, you know that name? Watchman Nee's a great writer. If you can get a hold of some of his books, I, I recommend that highly. In his personal testimony, this is what he wrote. He said, I prayed, God, I want your very best for my life. At the time he prayed that, he was very successful in the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, he was on his way to becoming a millionaire. Almost immediately, <laughs> he lost everything. And he prayed to God and he said, God, I cried out unto you and I ask you for your very best. This is what he wrote. And God responded back to me, this is the best to make you into the best for me. Sometimes have to go through those struggles in order to become the beautiful butterfly that God has to, for us to be. Then I'd say this to you. The ministry of Mara is also a ministry of intercession. Down in verse number 25, the Bible says that Moses, after the people are murmuring against him, he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Isn't that amazing? And when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue, an ordinance, and there he proved them. Now, the first thing I notice about this verse of Scripture is the Bible says that Moses cried to the Lord. Isn't that a great thing to do when people are talking to you? I mean, talking about you. People are murmuring again. He's got problems. If you've got three million people ready to string you up, <laughs> you've got a problem. And so he cried unto the Lord. And this is what Scripture says. And the Lord showed him a tree. Now, in my mind, and, and you help me, if, you, if you're maybe a little bit deeper theologically than I am, I feel like that because there was some water there, even though it was bitter water, that there was probably more than one tree there. Just thinking, you know. And the Word of God says that God showed him a tree. Come back to that in a minute. Can't you see Moses? He's been three days. He hadn't had any water. He comes up here and this is bitter water. And the people are all mad at him. They're all talking about him. And he takes an axe and he goes over and he starts chopping down a tree. And the elders are going, we got to have a meeting about this. He's lost it. I mean, he's, he's over the edge. And he takes that tree, limbs, leaves perhaps, Throws it in the water. Muddies up the water. Then he gets down and gets him a handful of that water. Mm. <laughs> it never says that he told anybody else to get a drink. Never does. I can just see him. Mm. And one of the elders steps out in braveness and boldness and says, let me try. And then the word goes through a crowd of three million. Water sweet water sweet the ministry of intercession that is brought forth here of course points to the lord jesus christ and it sounds silly you know we got bitter water cut down a tree throw it in the water and suddenly the water is going to be made sweet sounds just about as silly as me believing in a man that died 2,000 years ago outside the city of jerusalem excuse me yeah 2,000 years ago outside the city of jerusalem and if I will trust him and believe in him, I'll have eternal life. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, it filled this old boy's heart. I can't hardly wait for Jesus. Somebody say amen right there. 
I know that 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, you know, there's a song there. It's got two verses. One of them is, grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? And uh, I don't know if the Lord's going to let me go in the rapture. I'm really praying for that. Or whether death is going to overtake me. If death overtakes me, I'll sing, death, where is thy sting? But if it's the rapture, I'll say, woohoo, grave, where's thy victory? Either way, I'm with him. And it sounds foolish when I tell people that I trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. And he wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. They, are you crazy? Won't you try my water? I think if you'll just take you a little drink of my water, you'll find it's the sweetest water you've ever had. Now, i got to go further. Hmm. It's a lot of this, Brother Henry. I, if you were somewhere else, I'd preach for an hour, but I know we're going to. I love my pastor. Don't y'all love our pastor? Amen? Give him a hand. Yeah. I brag on River of Life everywhere I go. My wife's here. She'll bear testimony of that. In fact, some people I believe don't ask me back for revivals because I brag on River of Life while I'm there. Anyway. There is within this the ministry of no current interpretation. The ministry of inner revelation. We see ourselves as we really are. The ministry of intercession. But here's the last one. Or, or here's another one. And that is the ministry. The ministry of Mara is a ministry of instruction. Verse number 26. Here's what it says. And he said, if thou wilt gently hearken, if thou wilt diligently not gently, if thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight, not your sight, his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, this is what God says, then I'll put none of those things, those diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord thy God, I love this, that healeth thee. He healed the waters. And he said, learn something here. If I can do this, if I can bring you through, I bring you out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through three days in the desert, come to Mara and the waters are bitter. And if I can heal these bitter waters, what can I do in your life? You need to learn something there. He said, these things are written for your admonition, for your learning. God said, I want you to come to a place where you trust me. I love the wording, diligently hearken. It means you need to stop and listen to the word of God. And then, then he says, you need to do that which is right in the sight of God. You know, holy living's not gone out of style. I I tell you what, I get so mad. Y'all forgive me for that. I'm really praying about that. Righteous indignation. Maybe that's a better word. I was sitting there last night, and we flipped through the channels at our house because when the wind blows, our coverage goes like this. And sometimes, you know, you just can't get Andy Griffith. And so we're just flipping through the channels. And, and really, if you want to know, we were watching the Western with Bob Hope, okay? Good quality TV. And it went, so we were flipping through the channels, and we got to channel number 42 at our house. I have no idea what channel it is in your house. And there was a man up there, and so I just stopped it there, and it was the uh, I Heart Radio Awards. And they had this, this young man up there, he was about 20 years old, and he had been voted number one artist with a number one song on I Heart Radio for the year. I said, well, I'll listen to this for a second. He got up and accepted the award, and this is what he said. I quit school in high school so that I could go and follow my dream. And then when I was 19 years old, I came out of the closet publicly to follow my dream. And then the number one song is a song about one man who lusts after another man. Now that ought to disgust you. But it ought to make you mad too. You know why? 
Because these are the people that Hollywood is holding up as examples to our young people. And if you buy into that, then all our young people need to quit high school and just go follow your dream and go out here and be any kind of immoral, vile, wicked person you want to be, and you'll be applauded by this world. But there's nothing in the Word of God that would ever lead me to believe that you can live after the flesh and be pleasing unto God. You have to, oh, there's so many scriptures that talk about you and I being holy as he who hath called us is holy. You and I have been instructed to be our best for the glory of God. And that means sometimes that I have to say no to my flesh. It's hard. We was leaving the house a while ago and my daughter came over to drop her dog off. I'm dog setting for the next three days. I can't have my grandkids, but she will bring me her dogs. It's a weird world we live in. But in the process, she stopped by Johnson's Bakery over there in Perry. And she brought me three chocolate donuts and three glazed donuts. And I'd ate one of those chocolate donuts. And I was headed out of the house and... It called me. And, but I rebuked my flesh. <laughs> you said that's such a simple thing. Dear friend, every day of your life as a born-again child of God, you have an adversary of the devil who's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's going to be putting things in your ways. And it's not, hey, he's not going to tempt you with great big old things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. And it's going to be the little things. And a little thing here. And a little thing here. And a little thing here. And pretty soon, the things of the world are becoming acceptable unto you. That's how it happens. Each man is led away and enticed by his own lust. James chapter number 1. Well, anyway, the ministry of Mara, here, I've got to give you this one. It is a passing ministry. Listen to verse number 27. The word of God says, and they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees, 70 palm trees. At a, years ago, uh, Brother Henry may know this name. There was a preacher by the name of Mays Jackson. And Mays Jackson preached for two and a half hours one night on the 12 wells of water. And it was such a tremendous sermon. I mean, people just were total amazement. And as they were going out, one of the preachers there asked the other preacher, he said, you coming back tomorrow night? He said, absolutely not. He said, why? He said, because he said tomorrow night he's preaching on them 70 wells of water. Twenty-one verses. Can't me shout that out for the glory of God. Mountaintop experience. What God did. Come over here to the last verse. He's led us to Elam. Whew. One well for every tribe. How about them apples? Yeah. Seventy palm trees. Mountaintop. Everybody's drinking. Praise God from Moses. Thank God for the leader you gave us. He brought us over here. But between the mountaintop of the first 21 verses and the mountaintop of the last verse, there's a valley. And it's a dark valley. And it's a deep valley. It is a valley called Mara. But for the child of God, to get from one mountaintop to the next, you got to go through the valleys. Don't give up. You may be going through Mara right now. Your life may be filled with bitterness. It may be over something that somebody's done to you. It may be over something you did to yourself. But you have found yourself in a place of dryness. A place of bitterness. Don't you give up.
Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, and you shall reap if you faint not. Don't give up. I'm, I, I just want to tell you, Elam's coming. <laughs> it may be hard right now. You may be going through the desert, and it may be dry, and you may be bitter. Don't get Elam's coming. For you and I who are saved, the Elam that's coming for us is greater than anything this world has ever known. We're going to graduate out of here. Trial, I love this song, trials dark on every hand. Henry won't let me sing in this church. And, and there's a reason. <laughs> but I'm going to sing for you tonight. Trials dark on every hand, and we may not understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eyes and we'll follow till we die and we'll understand it better by and by, by and by when the morning comes, all the saints of God are gathered home. We will tell the story how we've overcome. And we'll understand it better by and by. One last truth, and I'll close with this. As a born-again child of God, you never walk alone. He's promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Maybe bitterness. In fact, it may be the perfect will of God that has led you to where you are right now. And you say, I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. But know this. God's in the business of trying the life of his children to make them more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us tonight. I pray, Lord God, that we've been able to teach. And that, Father God, we've imparted some knowledge. We ask you, Lord God, if you will now, to just watch over all of our people that are traveling. Brother Derek, his family, and everyone else. Bring them all safely back to us, Lord. And Father God, I'm praying that this Sunday, they'll be rejoicing in this house. As we drink the sweet water of your precious word. And Father, we'll praise you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.